Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what we've heard already. And Lord, we, we do pray, Father, for as we just come to this, this next section in James, Lord, that we would apply it to our lives. Lord, thank you for the practicality of it and the directness of it. But Lord, help us to put it into place within each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Riddle for you as we start, just to be different. What is the world's smallest but largest troublemaker? The tongue. Yeah, now anybody who knows we're going in James will have, it's pretty much a giveaway, isn't it, to be honest? But um, James has already shared with us something of the characteristics of a mature Christian. So in chapter 1, they were patient in trouble, remember? Chapter 2, they're not, just, they're not just doers of the word, but hearers of the word. Sorry, the other way around. Let's flip that over. Let's flip it over. Deliberate mistake. <laughs> not deliberate. They are not just hearers of the word, but they are doers of the word. Amen. Now in chapter 3, James shares a third characteristic, the mature Christian has power over their tongue. Now speech is probably one of the greatest powers that that God has given to us. With the tongue we can praise God, we can pray, we can preach the word of God, we can lead people towards Christ. It is such a privilege. And yet with the same tongue we can tell a lie, we can ruin a reputation, we can break someone's heart. And the ability to speak is the ability to influence people. It is to accomplish tremendous tasks of good and evil. The Christians that James is writing to here apparently had a serious problem with their tongues, with the way in which they are speaking. And if you remember back to James chapter 1 and verse 18, he's already warned them that everyone should be quick to listen. Yeah, quick to listen, slow to Slow to speak, first of all, and then slow to anger, yeah? The trouble is that many of us love gossip, don't we? We love to hear it, we love to to spread it around. We particularly love if we are the first person with that bit of juicy little bit of information and we can just break it into somebody else's life just to see the surprise on their face. Have you heard? Have you heard what he's been doing? And already we're skipping a little bit of criticism, aren't we? I mean, there's nothing, by the way. I've, there is no, I have nothing to say. But, but already we, we, we sort of think, I wonder what that little, little story is, what's lying. And ironically, we're actually very quick to complain about the media in our country, especially maybe the gutter press of some new newspapers who, in, who sort of pry into people's personal lives, come out with stories, some of which aren't even true, However, these papers don't exist because of evil publishers. They exist because the public buy them. That's you and me. Perhaps your mum used to tell you what my mum used to tell me. If you can't say something good about someone, don't say anything at all. 
The truth is that life would be a lot easier for most of us if we could only control our tongue. And James recognizes uncontrolled tongues as one of the major causes of distress within Christians and within the church. And whether you are a Bible teacher or not, you need to learn to control your tongue. But for those of you who teach the Word of God, who teach the Bible, they are particularly highlighted here because they present an important example of the problem of the tongue. So this is where James begins. However, as we go further into this passage, his, he discusses his discussions on this problem that, of the words that come out of our mouth broaden to involve all of us. None of us are exempt from this. Let's start reading. Um, chapter 3, verse 1, says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, most of the letter that James is writing here is addressed to you. This little section, he uses we instead. In other words, he includes himself. James humbly puts himself in the same position as that of other teachers. As I've mentioned already, this passage is initially directed to people who teach the word of God. So what we do up the front here, but also it applies if you're teaching maybe in a small group environment, maybe even one-to-one teaching. But at first glance, It is a thoroughly depressing picture. And we are warned here to think twice about teaching others. It would seem that everybody in the church that James is writing to wants to teach and they want to be spiritual leaders. But James warns them in verse 1, not many of you should act as teachers. Perhaps Perhaps they were just impressed by the authority or they saw something of a bit of prestige in that sort of position, but they overlooked the tremendous responsibility that is involved here. Those who teach the word face the very strictest judgment. If you've got a longing or even God's put up on your heart to be a teacher, no easy thing. You need to hear this. They presumably... This judgment is because, or at least partly because, when teachers make mistakes, they don't just hurt themselves, they also hurt those who are under their care. care. And the challenge for anybody who teaches the Bible is that they are more than just presenters of a good idea. They are to lead both by their words, but also by their lives. In fact, the best teachers in any context, whether it be secular or whether it be Christian, come out of, a, out of a relationship where the teacher genuinely cares about their students. This kind of teaching is even more important when it comes to Bible teaching, to biblical teaching. Our lives must live up to what we preach. And teachers will be held accountable before God for the accuracy of their teaching as well as the life that they lead and the example that they set As we've already read back in chapter 1 and chapter 2, only those who do the word 
have really understood the word. Therefore, teachers must be far more than just conveyors of good ideas because they will be judged by what they say. I am going to be judged by what I say. I'm going to be judged by what I don't say. This is serious. Verse 2 makes it even more concerning. We're worrying because James is humble enough to admit that he makes mistakes. And if James can make mistakes, well, maybe there's not much hope for the rest of us. See, the tongue is a dangerous thing. And it's so often out of control. So given the seriousness of this responsibility, teachers have a problem. How are we going to avoid making mistakes in what we say and therefore incur judgment? After all, this tongue always seems to be running away with itself. And as James writes, he goes through the sequence of illustrations, six illustrations in all, and as he goes through them, they're building and they're building. He starts off with the relatively easy horse that is easy to control. He goes to to this large ship being tossed around in the wind, and he talks also about a fire that is so out of control, it destroys the forest. He wants to emphasize just what a teacher, and for that matter the rest of us, are up against. James seems quite convinced that nobody is able to put out this, this destructive spark that is the tongue. So how can teachers avoid making mistakes? How can we make sure that we avoid blasphemy, that we don't live in hypocrisy? Is it even possible? Let's have a look at some of the things that James says. Let's look at some of these illustrations. Picking it up again in chapter 3, verse 3. When we put bits into the mouth of a horse to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest Consider what a great force is set on fire by just a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Verse 7. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures have been tamed and have and are being tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. I've only ever got into a fight twice, to my memory. And both times were at school, and on both occasions, I wasn't actually that bothered about the other person's tongue. Definitely his fists but not so much, not so much as tongue. 
And yet James wants us to see that in many ways that this tongue is the most powerful and the most dangerous part of the body. Of course, the tongue at times can be used for so much good and yet within seconds, a single word can ignite a situation and cause untold damage. So if you think that your tongue is only a very small part of your body and it doesn't need too much attention, you have underestimated its power and its ability to direct and to control situations and to influence people. So James uses two illustrations of two small things that have the power to direct with great strength and power just like the tongue a horse bit and the rudder of a ship. And James connects the sin that comes out of our mouths with those that we commit with our whole body. And he's absolutely right, of course, because words usually do lead to deeds. During World War II, posters were put up that said, Loose lips sinks ships. But loose lips also wreck lives. And the way that the horse bit or the rudder must overcome opposing forces to achieve its purposes so the tongue is no different. Listen, you have an old selfish nature that just wants to control things. You add to that then the sinful nature that we struggle so much to control and then also the circumstances that come all around us that we, the things that cause us to say things and do things that we would never ever want to say. Anger flares up in a second and the words are out and the damage often is done. And both these pressures from without and from within are seeking to control the tongue. This means that our tongue, just like the bit or the rudder, must be controlled by a strong hand. It needs an expert horseman. It needs an experienced pilot. Listen, Jesus is the only one who can do that. Left to our own devices, it's so easy for us to say the wrong thing, or actually even to say the right thing, in the wrong way. It's no surprise that David prays in Psalm 141, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil. Listen, we would do well to maybe write that out somewhere and, and stick it up so we can see it. Maybe as you, as you pray each morning, why not pray that particular verse in the next, over the next week or two? You pray that God would put a guard over my mouth, Lord, would watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to evil. Psalm 141, verse 3. Allow God to begin to work in our lives, and our hearts. See, David knew that the heart was key to the right speech. And when the Lord Jesus, and when Jesus is Lord over your heart, guess what? He is also Lord over your lips. Do not underestimate the power of your words and how they can affect, influence the lives of other people. In the same way that a judge would declare guilty or not guilty, it's not has a massive impact on the destiny of the life of the prisoner or even the parent who says yes or no has a great effect on the direction of a child's life. Never 
underestimate the guidance you give by the words that you speak or the words that you do not speak. In 1855, Edward Kimball went into a Boston shoe shop and he led D.L. Moody to Christ. The result? One of history's greatest evangelists. The effects of his ministry, to some extent, still felt today. And the words that come out of your mouth have the power to direct. So never underestimate the importance of your tongue to direct people in the right way. But listen, the tongue has got, also got power to destroy. The example that James uses for this is the fire or wild animal. Now, a fire begins with just a single spark. It can destroy forests. It can also destroy a city. On Sunday, September 2nd, 1666, London caught on fire. That city burned until Wednesday has become known, of course, as the Great Fire of London, destroying the homes of 70,000 out of the 80,000 inhabitants of that city. And fire is deadly. And our words can start fires. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. And if you do not learn to control your tongue, the result is destruction. I've seen this happen too many times. I've seen it happen in the workplace, as I've seen it happen in church situations where someone gossips or just those throwaway remarks, maybe undermining someone or, or just speaking negatively or, or, or carrying a little rumor, a little bit of gossip that can just destroy harmony. It destroys love, starts fires. But when that person moves on, Overnight, the atmosphere can change. You've seen it? I've seen it in work many times. But fire also spreads. In fact, the more fuel that you give a fire, the faster and the further it is going to spread. And as it spreads, it destroys. In fact, the words that you speak have the power to destroy. It said that for every word that Hitler wrote in his book, Mein Kampf, 125 lives were lost in World War II. Now, your words may not start wars, but they can break hearts and they can ruin reputations. And it's so important that you let your speech, as Paul says in Colossians 4, to be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. But fire not only spreads, it not only creates heat and it burns, but it also defiles. If you've ever seen a fire, seen a house after a fire. You'll know something of this. In fact, there's probably more damage done to a house through the smoke that's given off by the fire than actually by the fire itself. It defiles everything, the whole environment around it. And fiery words can defile a home, it can defile a church, it can affect our every environment. In fact, the only one that can wash away such defilement and hurt is the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, we talk a lot about the cross of Christ here, freedom. By the way, that's going to continue. Because without the cross of Christ, we have no hope. 
Without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's only through the blood of Christ that defilement can be dealt with, that forgiveness can come, that we can find any hope. Listen, if somebody's spoke, spoken a word over you, that has spoken stuff that has, has brought you down, that's tried to defile you, you come to the cross. Maybe if you've spoken those words, if you've been gossiping or taking stuff or just running somebody else down, you come to the cross. At the cross, you both find forgiveness and you find cleansing and you find freedom. But the tongue is not only like a fire, it's also like a dangerous animal. It's relentless and it can not be trusted. It seeks to, to pray, it seeks to pounce, it seeks to kill. A number of years ago, we went to Nosley Safari Park. It's one of those places where you can drive around in your car. Have you been there? Good fun, actually. It's great. Um, there's a big sign on the way in that goes something like this. Don't get out of your car and do not open your windows. And we look at these. These are beautiful. They look so cuddly, these animals. And you just want to get out and give them a bit of a stroke and a bit of a pet and a bit of a cuddle. Listen, even the monkeys. Now, what harm could monkeys do? They are dangerous creatures. Look, we, we parked up just for a few minutes in the monkey enclosure and the aerial is pulled off and, and they tried to rip, off, rip off the wipers off the car. We didn't, we didn't hang around too long in the land enclosure to see what they could do. And you, you'll be pleased to know that we have no plans at the moment to release any hungry lions or any venomous snakes into church anytime soon however an unguarded tongue will cause the same devastating results as we read a little bit further it just doesn't get any better in fact James is you know things are getting almost in verses 7 and 8 it doesn't give us any more hope that we are ever going to be able to control our tongue Remember back to chapter 1 and verse 8, James introduced us to this idea of a double-minded person. This is someone who is half trying to live as a Christian, also trying to live for themselves with their own desires. It's a miserable existence, this double life full of tensions and compromise. And James urges us, in fact, the, the antidote to that was to urge believers to humbly accept the word planted within them and to demonstrate this by constantly living it out in the power of the Spirit, but there also appears to be such a thing as a double-tongued Christian. So in the end of our the rest of chapter 3 he describes the chasm that exists between God's true wisdom and the peace that only comes through Christ through God but also this contrast of this demonic counterfeit that breeds only ambition and jealousy and what you really believe, what you possess will, reveal, will be revealed by your actions and by what you say and what you are on the inside will come out and whether that is peace and good deeds, or whether it's envy and aggression, the output depends on what is at the source. This is how James explains it in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our God and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. 
Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And in verse 10, James seems to move his attention away from teachers and to talk to the whole church, to his brothers and sisters. Now if, for some reason, you felt exempt from the first part, there is no exemptions here. This is definitely speaking to every single one of us. And he uses two final illustrations, the illustration of a spring and the illustration of a tree. And there's both hope here, but also a warning as well. And your tongue has the power to delight. One of my memories as a young teenager was climbing up Sleeve Donard. We had been... We, it was actually a really rare thing in Northern Ireland, a sunny day. And it was a hot day, and we were walking for an hour, maybe two, and as we were going through the mountains of Warren, we come across a fresh water mountain spring. And I was so thirsty. And I can still, no, I, can, I don't think water's ever tasted as good, either before or since then. I can still remember it. It was so cool and refreshing. And the presence of Fresh water is such a blessing, not just to drink, but for washing, for cooking, for farming. In parts of the world where, where water is so scarce, you dig down and you find a spring, it is literally life-giving. And words have the possibility to also give life and refreshment and cleansing. Ephesians 5 reminds us that it is God's word that is the spiritual water that cleanses us. But listen, your words can also be like that. However, not all water is good. We have an underground spring in the cellar of our Tarpoli shop. When we first bought the property, we decided it would be great to get the water tested. Partly thinking actually locally sourced Tarpoli spring water, that's got to sell, hasn't it? There's a business there somewhere, isn't it? One small problem. It was disgusting. It was dirty. It was foul. It was polluted. This water that had potential power to delight and to refresh was so polluted that it would cause sickness. Honestly, it would probably kill you. You see it advertised? Don't buy it. Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue can also delight when it's like a tree, not just because it bears fruit, but also because it provides beauty and it provides shade. And your words have the capability of providing encouragement and comfort and even food to hungry souls. But perhaps the most important thing about the tree is the root system. If the roots do not go down deep, that tree is not going to grow and it's not going to grow in a, in a healthy manner. In a similar way, if you are rooted into the things of God, if you're rooted into the Word of God, if you're rooted into the Spirit of God, then your words will be fruitful and they will be a blessing to others. So if you and I want to, if you and I are going to have our tongues full of delight to speak words of blessing, then we need to spend time hearing from God's Word to be filled with the Spirit of God. You must get your spiritual roots deep into Him. To spend time in the presence of God. 
to allow him to speak and to change your heart, to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to nourish you, that you may grow, that you may be fruitful. You need to pray, to meditate on the word of God, to allow the Holy Spirit to fill your heart with God's love and God's truth. So these are the things, the two things that both a warning and also an encouragement, also a hope for us. As James finishes this, he says, look, a spring cannot produce two different kinds of water. Never going to happen. Any more than a tree can produce two different kinds of fruit. Nature reproduces after its kind. So if the tongue is inconsistent, there's something radically wrong with the heart. And here is the solution to the tongue and to the lips. My uncle tells a story when he was at university. He shared a room with a Christian student who was training to be a church pastor. However, while he slept, he regularly would talk in his sleep. Big problem. He used a lot of foul language. He would curse. He would blaspheme. And the sort of foul lines that he would never ever have dreamed of using during his waking day. And when my uncle said to him and, and asked him about it, he got quite agitated and he said, you know what, I, I don't know why I do that. I, I, it really isn't me. However, James would say, it has to be you. It's got to be you. Otherwise, it wouldn't come out of you. And the tongue that blesses and praises God and then turns around and curses is in desperate need of spiritual medicine. Listen, how easy is it to stand here and sing words of praise and and, and worship to God and then afterwards we jump into our cars and we argue and we fight all the way home? It shouldn't happen. The problem, of course, is not the tongue. It's the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 15, but the thing that comes out of a person's mouth comes from the heart and these defile them. So when you lie because you're late for an appointment and you come up, make some excuse, actually it's not an excuse, it's a lie. Or you try to cover up a mistake, you ask, what is going on in my heart? We might want to avoid looking bad. We maybe our pride in that situation is more powerful than our love for the truth, or we'd rather lie and maybe protect our respectability than tell the truth and go down a notch in the eyes of our friends or those around us. But if we are, ha- if you're having trouble controlling your tongue, we need to go back and look at the spring from where it flows. You with me? Even if we cannot completely control our tongue, we can do something about our heart. Or rather, God can. We need to stop being double-minded and compromising in our allegiances. We need to run from Satan and run from evil and from sin. And we need to draw near to our Father in heaven. We need to pray for purity and for wisdom that comes through repentance and being filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to draw near to God, ask Him to transform us from the inside out. We need to protect, to guard our hearts, our minds, our eyes. 
Paul says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Listen, none of us, certainly I can't, I don't think any of us can afford to waste our energy or our words on things that tear ourselves apart or even tear other people apart. Instead, we need to be filled our minds on the Word of God by spending time regularly and consistently and daily meditating on the Word of God found within the Scriptures. Listen, if you fill your heart on the things of this world, of evil, of just rubbish that goes on all around us, if that's all we're focusing on, if that's all we're putting into ourselves, then you will become like the world. Guess what's going to come out? However, if we fill our hearts with Christ, you will become like him. And you will speak like him. And he can use your words to bring both delight and blessing and encouragement to others. You can be a refreshing spring, fruitful tree. Warren Wisby suggests that there are 12 words that can transform your life. He says that if you use these words sincerely and mean them, with all of your heart, then God can use you to bring blessing and encouragement to others. Partly agree with them, probably don't, partly don't. Can be helpful, but ultimately it's our heart that needs to be changed. But what comes out does make a difference. So words like please and thank you. They show appreciation. They treat people like people, not like things. I'm sorry. Two words that have a way of breaking down walls and building bridges. I love you. We think of these words often just in romantic terms only. It was something we'd say to our, our, our husband or our wife or to our boyfriend or to our girlfriend. But as Christians, we are told to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, Jesus says, love your enemies. And I love you is a statement that can carry tremendous power. I'm praying for you. But make sure you do. Easy words to say. As you share maybe something of your faith, as you talk to people about God, you can also talk to God about people. But our private prayers for people can really make a massive difference in our public interactions with people. As if you're struggling with somebody in work, or maybe even in church, but if you're struggling with somebody and it's just things are grating a little bit and you're just that those relationships isn't what it ought to be, pray for them. Why not tell them, I'm praying for you. And as you do, as you begin to pray them, if nothing else, it changes your heart. But actually, it'll change situations. When I've told someone at work, I've been praying for you because of maybe that sickness or because of that problem at home, they're always surprised, but they also welcome it. It shows you care. It shows you love them. So pray for God's wisdom to direct you to use your words this week, to show you where you're using your tongue to complain or to criticize or to curse God's creation. But also pray that he would enable you to see how you might use your tongue 
to point people towards Jesus, to encourage, to speak words of blessing, not cursing. Of course, on your own, you cannot change. But if you want to grow up, if you want to mature in the way in which you speak, you need to head back to chapter 1 and verse 5 again. Ask God for his wisdom. Remember that little bit? That's key. Ask God for his wisdom. Ask God to give you the tongue that will only praise him, a tongue that will speak encouragement, a mouth that just comes out with words of blessing and hope. The biggest but smallest troublemaker in all the world is the tongue, but it doesn't have to be that way. God can use your tongue to bring blessing and good, to direct others into the way of life, to encourage people in the trials of life. The tongue may be small, but it has great power. Give God your tongue and give him your heart. And ask him to use it to be a blessing to others. Let's take a moment. Go and pray. Perhaps just in the moment of, of quietness, perhaps you need to confess before God perhaps words that you have used even this week that have been critical, that have been gossip, that have been hurtful, perhaps stuff that you have said in the wrong way, that you just bring before God, just repent of it, and ask God to come and just bring that change that is needed. We're just going to pray in a moment. We're going to pray Psalm 141, verse 3, just over our lives. Perhaps just take a moment to speak to God for yourself. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Lord, keep watch over the doors of my lips. Lord Jesus, do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil. Lord, as we commit ourselves to you, commit our language, the words that we speak, Father, I pray that those words, Lord, would be words of encouragement, words of blessing. Words that point people to you, not away from you, Lord. But Lord, we acknowledge our need of your help in this, the filling of your spirit in this. Father, give us the wisdom that we Give us the strength to ask and the faith to believe. To apply to our lives and to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.